minutes or less film fest my name is sam clements and this is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime in each episode a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival today we're joined by fellow podcaster leon cox from the cane and rinse and sound of play podcasts hello leon hi Thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining us today. Now, the two pods I, I mentioned, Leon, they're, they're not about movies. They're about video games. Yes. Could you um, tell the listeners a little bit about the Kane and Rince, I guess, network is the maybe right word to describe this? People call it that now. Yes. About nine years ago, we... Uh, well, I came off the back of another podcast. So I've been podcasting for about 11 years now. The podcast I was doing before ran its course and uh, two of its members, myself and Jay Taylor, decided that we wanted to carry on doing something. Uh, we you know, found it a good outlet, a good hobby, something to something to keep us off the streets and off you know, the booze or whatever else and um, a good focus for life. So we, we put our heads together and um, came up with a slightly different format to the one that was prevalent at the time which was generally and which was the one we'd been doing already which was you know generally a, a banter cast with a bunch of people who who were playing whatever had just come out at the time and would play normally the first sort of few levels of it and say it was the best thing ever and then um, slag each other off a bit and then and then that's the end of the show and move on to the next week so I wanted to do something a bit more f- formal and focused a bit more of a program I think some people took offense thinking we were being a bit highfalutin but I think the podcast medium has moved on a lot in the last 10 years. And I think we were ahead of our time by making something that we we were hoping was closer to like, yeah, the quality of something you might hear on the radio. I had in, in my mind like a late night review kind of format book club, but for games, which had been done before. I'm not saying we were the innovators with that, but I just wanted to avoid a few things that I felt some podcasts and podcasters were, were traps that they were falling into maybe but just things that i personally find annoying which is sort of format zealotry fanboyism expressing opinions as though they're facts we wanted to kind of dial down the hyperbole dial down the shouting across each other and the sort of attempts at comedy and things like that and just make it a bit of a yeah like a real a love letter to video games oh and the other thing the other key part was that we we sort of pledged to complete everything that we talked about because there were too many shows that we felt were just playing the first few levels of things and, and not getting to the end. We've made a rod for our own backs with that. Uh, and sometimes it's been a challenge and sometimes it's not one we've even met for various reasons. But I still feel, I still believe that you form a different relationship with a game once you've seen all of it. There's a lot of games that change a lot in their latter halves, latter thirds. And so, somewhere the ending is absolutely key, same as with a film, to to sort of understanding what was going on in the first place. Obviously, because we cover games from the breadth and the depth and the history of the medium going all the way back, sometimes we'll cover something like Tetris or uh, Asteroids where there is no end as such. And in that case, we just you know play as much as we can and talk about the mechanics and the, the history and all that kind of thing. But, but for games with with a, a credit roll we try to at least get that we don't pledge to get you know the 
the full completion on everything because it would be literally impossible. But yeah, so we've been making that for nine years, just coming up to our 10th year. And Sound of Play came along a few years in, just uh, an expression of our love of the music that goes with games and the astonishing talent that is working in the video game audio realm uh, and has been. Again, we cover, we play music from all the way back. Sometimes it will be just monaural beeps, but we'll also play all the latest chip tunes and, and orchestral bits and songs as well from games. And uh, and yeah, that's that's just a passion project as well the list of games that you you discuss it's you know it feels very curated and and it's as you said it's a spectrum of gaming from very early days to current sort of gen stuff how do you how do you decide what to cover how do you pull this list together so we've got a big spreadsheet and every time anyone suggests anything whether it's internal or external or sometimes we'll just put something on because it's new out and we know people are going to play it on that list currently i think there's two thousand odd games uh and then every year Towards the end of the year, I shorten that list by thinking about what's happening the following year, whether a game's got a sequel or a spiritual successor coming out, whether it's got an anniversary coming up. Uh, I also ask our contributors, they each get to pick one game that they would love us to cover in the upcoming year. And, and the last couple of years, I've managed to incorporate all of those. So that we do 50 shows a year. So that's nearly 20 shows gone already. Then I have to come up with the other 30 trying to get the nice bl- the nice mix the nice blend of of eclecticism which i think again in some ways it's probably not necessarily the recipe for uh, the biggest podcast in the world in terms of how many sort of listeners or downloads we could get because a lot of people have no interest in going back to old games certainly not very old ones or maybe even a couple of generations ago but we're for you know we're for the real enthusiasts and historians who uh, even if they haven't played something they're interested to hear about why other people did and what they got out of it because that's that's who I am so I don't host all 50 shows of the year I normally take about 15 off to focus on playing the games to to get the next shows done um, but I listen in just as a listener then I hand the show over to, to one of our wonderful folks who uh, who then put the show together and make it about the game they're interested in and then I get to listen to those and understand why if it's a game that I didn't pick up or didn't get on with, what's interesting about it? Is there anything that you've had on on the list for the past nine years which you just haven't got to? Sort of a, a, a bit of a guilty title that, that you keep meaning <laughs> to get to but haven't done it yet? It's more about the practicalities and the logistics of covering certain titles. So uh, World of Warcraft and Pokemon, big, long... Obviously, in the case of Pokemon, it's multi, multi generations. How do you do that? If we do a Pokemon show every month, we're going to kill half our listener base who aren't interested in Pokemon. If we do an all encompassing one Pokemon show, then that's just not going to cut it. So it's been a question of how do we approach those World of Warcraft? We've got at least three or four people. Our normal panel is four people. And we've got we've got a panel's worth of World of Warcraft former addicts but none of them have played the game now for years and the game has changed and changed and changed there's a new expansion just out so they could go and talk about maybe the first you know the cataclysm or whatever but then after that they don't know and none of them wants to go back and play it stuff like that yeah it sits on there and every year it's like how do we do this 
I think Kane Lorenz has got one of the best value Patreons that oh, thank uh, you. I've I've subscribed to. And I really like the monthly episodes that you and you know your co-host Jay do. Um, kind of just about what else you're doing aside from the, the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it's the uh, old waffle cast, the banter cast. Two dollars a month. That's all we ask. As a film fan myself, it's really nice to hear you guys talking about what TV you're watching, what movies you're yeah. watching, uh, and that's why I thought maybe actually you know it'd be great to get you on here to talk about a film. Considering you know work life plus pod making, how how much time do you get to watch films? I watch films quite a bit at home. I tend to watch films stupidly late at night um, because yeah, uh, I need to uh, play games and do podcast stuff most of the evening, and then just when you want something a bit less intense than a video game having said that some of the films i watch late at night probably aren't really ideal late night viewing in <laughs> terms of <laughs> going to bed rested but uh but yeah i often put on a film at like 11 um which is foolish but life is too short not to try to catch all these films when it comes to choosing a movie especially i guess if you're watching late at night does the runtime ever come into it are you very happy <laughs> yeah. to plow on with a you know three-hour epic i guess like a lot of people i will watch things in episodic format these days even if it's not correct i i'm old enough at 48 to remember when longer films had an intermission so i do remember going out from the cinema to the foyer 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 an american <laughs> foyer as a child in the middle of things to what uh, to get a uh, a Frankie hot dog or whatever. I'm also old enough to remember the the lady with the lit up ice cream tray round her neck. So yeah, I have lots of fond memories of of cinema as a kid. Yes, running time. Well, yes, uh, if something does come in that I could watch from eleven to a ninety minute or less to half midnight, that would that would be good. But um, more often than not, things are longer than that. Hence your podcast. When I got in touch with you, Leon, about this show, I asked you if you'd like to contribute an under 90 minute film for our festival. How did you how did you respond to that? How did you approach uh, selecting a film? I did bat a few ideas around with you. I don't know if you can remember any of them, but it was essentially it was looking at some of the films because I put in a rating just a mark out of 10 and uh, and came up with a, a little list of things that you hadn't had on here before. And yeah, it was uh, when when I realized it was a possibility, it became, yeah. And when you, you seemed uh, keen on the idea, it seemed like a no brainer. One of the most important sets of films to me, the Marx Brothers films, not all of them, uh, you know, there was definitely some, there was a definitely a massive dip in quality in the later years, but uh, peak Marx Brothers, Duck Soup. It was um, my uncle really, that got me into the Marx Brothers. He's not hes not hugely older than me. He's about 10 years older than me. He's more like a big brother, really. And he used to rave about the Marx Brothers. When, when we were kids, as in the 70s and 80s, they used to show a lot of black and white old films on BBC Two in particular, in the school holidays, Endless Laurel and Hardy. They had these um, Harold Lloyd compilations from America with a voiceover, which was weird. But my, my passion was always with the Marx Brothers. Just they were so, so far ahead of their time. So anarchic. So just, yeah, to me, just a beautiful blend of, of verbal comedy and silly comedy and physical comedy and satire and mocking the establishment um, and just beautiful performers and an incredible script as well. And I think one of the things I wanted to say about about Duck Soup is that I think uh, there's no doubt 
if you've ever read the book, The Groucho Letters, there is no doubt that Groucho Marx was an extremely clever and witty man, a very difficult man, not necessarily a very nice man, according to uh, some of his biographies. But I still think that the scriptwriters for the Marx Brothers films don't get enough credit. I wanted to highlight that because as much as I love the three Marx Brothers, less so Zeppo, sorry Zeppo, that's just the way it was. But yeah, the scriptwriters in this case, Bert Kalmar and Harry Ruby, who are also the, the musical uh, composers and uh, with uh, scripts, uh, script or additional work from Arthur Sheikman and Nat Perrin, both lifelong friends of, of Groucho Marx's. Um, I don't think they penned his letters for him or anything, but I know they were uh, they were long, long time friends. I read a lot of stuff. I, I went through a real phase of buying all the books and, and stuff about the Marx Brothers in the 90s. And because I do all this other stuff, I haven't been back to them. So some of my sort of Marx Brothers history is a bit rusty. But um, but I remember Arthur Sheikman in particular being a huge figure. And um, the other thing as well that uh, uh, is notable, I think, about Duck Soup is that Herman J. Mankiewicz is the producer who's also <laughs> a producer on or worked on um, The Wizard of Oz and Citizen Kane. So, you know, it's not a bad CV, really, is it? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have Duck Soup in the festival. We've got a, a, a small sort of early Hollywood strand. We've just had Charlie Chaplin's The Circus. Um, so this is kind of a nice, uh, sort of nice complimentary film to that. Whereas with Chaplin, I have seen lots of his films and, and I was a bit of a fan. This is my first ever Marx Brothers film. So, oh, uh, yeah, okay. I was very... And that's, I guess, one of the reasons to do this pod as well. It's, you know, to broaden my own film horizons and, and things. So I was really pleased when Duck Soup came up because it's one of those films, you know, it's on the lists uh, that yeah. you know, publications put out, you know, best American films, best comedy films. And uh, and I just, for some reason, hadn't found 69 minutes uh, to watch it. So I was really, you know, a good excuse to go and buy a nice Blu-ray copy of it and uh, and, and give it the time it deserves. So thank you very much for, for introducing me to this film. Well, now I'm fascinated to know what, what did you make of it? It's it's a pretty old film. Obviously, I know you're used to watching some older stuff as well, and and and, and infused as I'm with ancient video games. But even watching it as a kid, it, they used to show Marx Brothers films like rarely on the TV compared to the others that I mentioned. My uncle used to enthuse about them. He would go to see at the Duke of York's. He would go to see double bills of a night night at the opera, day at the races, which were the later, more glossy, studioy ones. The the sort of the, the mid era. Although Groucho famously always said that a night at the opera was his his favourite of all the movies. But some of the language and the references, as well as. Uh, I guess we we want to talk briefly about some of the the stuff that isn't so comfortable now. But even just getting a lot of the jokes, even back in the seventies and eighties when I first started seeing these, there's a lot of stuff that is just kind of it's all dropped out the lexicon. Even the title, the title is duck soup, meaning it's easy. It's as easy as duck soup because they used to say that. We don't say that anymore. So you're like, why is this film called Duck Soup? And just yeah, loads of the references. There's loads of pop culture gags as you would expect in a modern comedy, but pop culture from the 1920s and 30s. So, yeah, how did you get on with it? I it was it was I just also couldn't believe that I hadn't really seen any of their work considering a big film nerd did a film studies degree you know I, and I, I personally do really like other performers from the era so I was surprised by the songs I, I I understood from I guess just reading around it you know Harpo plays a harp and and certain brothers play certain instruments so I knew there was a musical kind of thing but this film has got 
big musical numbers with a huge cast uh, on screen, like the classic, you know, if listeners are sort of imagining classic Hollywood 1930s musicals, you know, giant sets with lots of performers in. And, and there's quite a few of those, which was a surprise. And also just there was a lot of, I guess, because they are so influential. There's a couple of very famous sort of scenes in this, which have been parodied and homage, yes. um, which I, I'm sure we'll get on to. As someone who didn't know the personalities so much going in, it was quite hard to keep up with which brothers were which, apart from Groucho, <laughs> who's very obvious. Um, so I, yeah, it was, I sort of lost track of, uh, of, of the Zeppos and, and Harpos uh, and Chicos of the world. But um, I got there in the end. It was just a bit more involved. But, uh, but yeah, fascinating first watch. And I'm, it has made me want to watch more of their stuff, which is, uh, uh, I think, a good thing to come out of this. The, there's actually a difference between Duck Soup and most of the others in terms of the music, because in, I think, every other Marx Brothers film, there's a break off for musical solos by Harpo and Chico. Uh, so normally Harpo will play uh, play his harp or a harp or something that becomes a harp. Uh, normally he'll go from being this ludicrous, clownish, petulant child um, cherub figure, anarchic um, troublemaker to suddenly he'll sit down at harp and he'll play it and he'll play a beautiful piece on the harp and then he gets up and carries on. It's always like this weird sort of two, three minute intermission. Chico's bits on the piano in, in the other films, uh, he'll play something nice, but he'll also do, he does his thing where he like uh, fires a pretend pistol at the, at the high keys. So yeah, those are notable by their absence. The other thing that's notable by its absence from Duck Soup compared to the others is there's no romantic subplot. So this is the last uh, Zeppo film before he quit because he was never really that into it. But they would, in previous films, rope him in as being the the sort of romantic lead as such because he could sing a bit and you know he was uh, he was slightly more conventionally good looking than than the other three this film famously didn't review that well at the time and it was even it's even sort of often talked about as having been a flop which isn't true it did well but uh, i think for the time the lack of musical or the lack of those expected musical solos the romantic subplot and the sort of slightly more political text or subtext, or both, was probably off-putting at the time. And it's an interesting just thing. It's this kind of anti-war film uh, in between the two world wars. Uh, the Marx Brothers themselves always said that they didn't see it as a satire any more than any of their other films, which were always about poking fun at the establishment and you know people being highfalutin and pompous and all that kind of thing. But uh, it seems to be that the director, Leo McCary, who apparently hated his experiences working with the Marx Brothers because they're all nuts, as in his words, or mad. They, I think he's generally credited with being the one who made this into something of an anti-war statement. General Cooper says that the Sylvanian troops are about to land on Fedonia soil. This means war. Something must be done. War would mean a prohibitive increase in our taxes. Hey, I got an uncle lives in taxes. No, I'm talking about taxes, money, dollars. Dallas, there's where my uncle lives, Dallas, Texas. <laughs> that sort of, you know, bygone era of taking these fully formed performers, uh, dropping them into this different scenario. And, and, and with Duck Soup, the setup is, I mean, there's a lot going on in a 69 minute film. There's, there's a lot of political stuff, the ins and outs of, of 
running a country, you know, despying and, and actually ending up in a full on war scene. It's 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 a yeah, it, it just feels epic. It's completely absurd that any of these characters are doing the jobs that they're supposed to be doing. That's the thing, and yet the world kind of carries on as if it's normal in some way. That I think that that's that's sort of a huge part of the comedy just there. I mean, it's hard to even sort of say because there's so little attempt to actually make them realistic, possible characters that they are just, you know, Groucho Marx is insulting. That is, you know, that he he's, he insults everyone and he's an equal opportunities insultist. He, he insults everyone, pretty much. There's just enough of that to keep him likable i think and then yeah the idea that chico is and and harpo are spies it's it's a weird world and i think yeah modern comedies i say modern i don't know how far this would go back tend to have to have a a reason for everything happening or like some kind of justification maybe that's not always true i guess you could think about some of the jim carrey films and and uh, stuff like that where there's kind of there's no way these people would actually be in this situation it feels like war was, you know, maybe treated. It was a, like thinking about the Disney cartoons and the Warner Brothers cartoons. Like there was this sort of comedy to war. It was a, I guess, more of a familiar situation. It wasn't as didn't feel like it was depicted as being as mm. horrific as as it was now. So you know, it feels like maybe for them when they're planning this this movie, you know, they could be train drivers, they could be warmongers. You know, it's just another situation for them to be in. Yeah, I think also. Uh, and I'm blessed to have lived in in peaceful times. Um, probably this year's pandemic is the most kind of lifestyle shattering event that we've yet been through. But I grew up in uh, a time when nuclear uh, threat felt imminent. But um, I think when you are going through stuff, I think there is a need to make comedy out of it. I was watching watching earlier one of the new spitting image sketches with a you know a kind of coronavirus uh, spore uh, and a flu spore hanging out in a bar together and making people ill and stuff and like yeah it's kind of it's jet black humor in a way but I, I do think you need it like the fact that people are wearing stylish face masks you know uh, uh, I think when we've all played pandemic set video games uh, and and I it was I realized you know and often they're very very bleak and very dark been playing the division tom clancy's the division recently and in this game where it's post-pandemic a deliberate uh, deliberately started terrorist pandemic but everyone in that wears like stylish gear um you know like uh designer gas masks and stuff like that and at the time when i first saw that game and that scenario i was like yeah right that's ridiculous and then uh, and then you know this year we've seen like nike swoosh face masks and stuff like that so i think to bring it back to duck soup i think um yeah, this was post World War One, pre World War Two, but I think I think there is a definitely a, talking about those sort of propaganda Warner Brothers cartoons and stuff like that. Yeah, I think there's absolutely a need to when you're going through stuff to to make make light of it if if and when you can that gallows humour and that to get that relief from it. Absolutely. I think it's uh, if you're a fan of the Marx Brothers work at the time, and they were so prolific, I think this was their fifth film in as many years, changing the setup, you know, like putting them in a different scenario must be really exciting for for their fans, for the audience. Yeah, I mean, I would sometimes you get that set that, uh, you know, where would you go if you could go back in time? And there's probably all kinds of really important things I could do, but definitely seeing the Marx Brothers on stage at uh, in vaudeville uh would be one of my kind of 
dream tickets. If Elon Musk or somebody invents uh, invents a time tube that I can go back, I'll be I'll be straight over to America. My first trip to America ever would be to nineteen twenties, uh, yeah, vaudeville. <laughs> I've sponsored your appointment because I feel you are the most able statesman in all Fredonia. Well, that covers a lot of ground. Say, you cover a lot of ground yourself. You better beat it. I hear they're going to tear you down and put up an office building where you're standing. You can leave in a taxi. If you can't get a taxi, you can leave in a huff. If that's too soon, you can leave in a minute and a huff. You know you haven't stopped talking since I came here? You must have been vaccinated with a phonograph needle. The future of Fredonia rests on you. Promise me you'll follow in the footsteps of my husband. How do you like that? I haven't been on the job five minutes and already she's making advances to me. Are there any scenes in this that really stand out to you, which are, you know, some of your your, your favourites from this film? The the mirror scene is iconic. And uh, and even though I've seen it a lot of times and I can see that this was an era when you didn't do too many retakes. There's actually quite a few big mistakes in this film and things that you just wouldn't leave in now, especially if you look at the background cast and, and things like that. But despite that, most of the comic sequences are just beautifully performed. You can tell that they were honed on stage before they were before they were filmed. The mirror scene is amazing. It did actually make make me laugh out loud all over again last night, which which is quite something because I've been watching this film for decades. There's just a couple of minutes and and a couple of uh, faces that Harpo pulls when it starts to come apart if you've never seen it it's, i'm sure it's on youtube you can just watch that one bit uh i mean there's there's even a massive continuity error in that because uh uh harpo runs down the stairs smashes into the mirror bounces off and then they perform the whole scene there's no glass anywhere it's like it's just that's just gone but it's <laughs> that kind of stuff you just you just have to let go my one my single favorite joke and i did want to want, want to mention this is funny because it's actually it's something that you don't even see Harpo do. It's a Zeppo joke, kind of, but it's it's. I guess it's just in the script. I've got. It's not a script because the scripts are all lost, but it's a transcription here of some of their films. As Pinky leaves the room, Harpo, Bob, Zeppo walks in, and and all it says in the book is, "We look towards the doorway as Bob enters, reaches up to take off his hat, and finds it has been cut in half. He throws it out of the door." That is my favourite joke in in the in the film because, of course, it's it's about it's le- leaving the joke to your imagination. How did he cut someone's hat in half lengthways and then put it back on their head, and then they notice as they walk in the room? It's just just brilliant. Comedians and, and acts who came from vaudeville when they got transplanted to cinema, they used cinema in such a different way. You know, thinking of all of the tricks they could do in the camera that they couldn't necessarily do on on stage as well. And and yeah, I do think there's there's some really great you know just setting gags or sight gags. There's a really one really weird bit which I still think is really odd, where for for no real reason um, they get into a conversation Groucho and Harpo about tattoos, and uh, and Harpo starts showing. The tattoos he's got of different people, a lady in a bikini, which is obviously very risque for 1933. Then he's got a phone number and then he's got his home. He says, have you got, I suppose you got where you live on there. He's like, yeah, it's a dog kennel. And for no reason at all, Groucho leans up close. He's got this right in the middle of his chest and meows and and a dog head comes out, an actual live dog. I mean, it's just that is so and it's not even in keeping with any of the jokes in the rest of the film. They just did it, I guess. And it's actually it's quite well done for 1933. It, it's not you know, it's not obviously a, a, a clunky special effect, but um, 
yeah it's full of moments like that you just you can't that's the thing like that that hat joke i've watched this with people and they've not even noticed that joke before because it just it's like literally blink and you'll miss it kind of stuff and there's loads of that when there is like the surreal stuff like that you know it does feel like it's it's leaning into an animation or a cartoon almost which i love you know it's it's so surreal but it's just funny it doesn't matter that it doesn't make any realistic sense it's a comedy and we're here to laugh and and stuff like that you know really got a, a, a giggle from me yeah they they are cartoonish characters uh they are actually depicted as cartoons in the opening credits um there's like caricatures of them which is i think something they did a f- few times possibly i'm not sure maybe it was just this one um i certainly remember obviously uh warner brothers again were forever using bits of marx brothers with bugs bunny and stuff like that bugs bunny was pretty much groucho in fact and uh but he would also do bits of bits of the others uh you know chico's terrible puns and and some of harpo's physical stuff as well so yeah i mean the 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 influence is incalculable people like steve martin as well when he came through on saturday night live no doubt a massive fan of of the marx brothers as someone who you know is is new to the marx brothers i think this has been a really good kicking off point and and uh looking through the the film runtimes a lot of their films are under 90 minutes it was probably more normal then but also because they were effectively uh stage shows turned into movies it made sense um, I think you know vaudeville shows would have been an hour and a half, maybe, or certainly one act. Again, I think when they moved to Universal, I think it's Universal. I forget the the night of the opera day at the races. I think those are more feature length. They've got more bigger numbers and and set pieces and stuff and and whatever else. But um, yeah, the first first couple of those are, are worth watching. Although um, day at the races has some particularly dubious uh, stuff around uh, the uh, a black. Um, community which is not like deliberately or um you know viciously malevolent in in its depiction but it is it is racist because it's patronizing and um it is it needs the um i don't know if they, what they do when they put it on now there, there are even some lines from duck soup that were cut out but have now been reinstated but i don't know if they do the the Warner Brothers cartoon style, these these are the beliefs of, or, you know, these reflect the opinions and attitudes of the time. They were wrong then and they're wrong now. But uh, we believe in representing them as they were. There is one line in, in this film. It's not the most offensive word that we know for uh, for black people. And it's deployed here as a punchline without, obviously, without much thought because they weren't, you know, they wouldn't have thought anything of it. It was it was a reference to a hit, a hit song. I'm not going to cancel the whole film for it, but it's uh, but it always always makes me grit my teeth a bit. <laughs> yeah, I was watching this uh, last night, and and it sort of made me sit up on my sofa, and it's like, oh, because just it activates a bit of your brain, you know, you're 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 watching the comedy and 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 doing that, but but it, it sort of makes you think about the context and the history, and and it mm. does maybe pull you out a little bit, but I think that is just part of watching this film in 2020. But like you say, it's not it's not um you know there there are a lot more offensive examples of classical Hollywood cinema. Um, there, I'm a big I'm a big musicals fan, and uh, you know there's minstrel numbers pop up in pretty much every <laughs> classical musical yes, because yeah. it was such a popular act yeah, at yeah. the time there's a little bit of that in here right at the start just a, a, a small reference to to minstrels as well which again i think has been excised from some versions and possibly not shown in some versions but i think for the most part for the last few decades it's been that stuff's been shown and reinstated but um but again i wonder with current culture being how it is as a white person i don't know i can't really comment what's right or wrong in this respect or what what 
one should feel comfortable with but yeah it's worth i think it's worth people knowing that there are these these things you're not you're not going into watching you know like a 70s jim davidson tape or or something like that but there are (laughs) there are moments that you might go yeah that does that's not cool so leon i'm thrilled to be able to program the very first Marx Brothers film in our 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. Uh, Duck Soup is in the festival. Very good. As part of your commitment to our fictional festival, um, you don't just get to pick a film, but you get to choose how we screen this film. I can give you a copy of the movie and a, and a, and a venue, a bit of a blank canvas. Well, it's absolutely got to look like a cinema of the time. That's just a, a given. If I can do that, I'm sure we can certainly make a good stab at uh, all the curtains and coverings and uh, furniture styles and wall fittings and all that kind of thing looking absolutely like a 1930s US cinema that would be just perfect I wouldn't want to overdo it I think that would just be ideal obviously you'd have to have a peanut cellar outside so if you're doing the whole kind of secret cinema thing yeah you need a, a, a lemonade stand and a peanut man yeah what else do you need I mean uh, I guess mm, might be a problem with nut allergies. <laughs> oh, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> they didn't worry about that back in back in them days. Uh, there might be a, a nut, there might need to be a, a a second option. I think I'm pretty sure he's also got a sausage on that stand. So uh, maybe some vegan and meat hot dogs as well. Something appropriate for the for the period. And yeah, lemonade as in a big vat of lemony water with sugar in it. Not not. Not, you know, not fizzy pop, modern lemonade, like old school American lemonade, possibly a bit cloudy with pips, you know, do it real. But yeah, I would I would look it I would look more into what they were selling and serving in 1930s American cinemas and just absolutely recreate that experience. Also, I mean, the film is mono and it's in uh, like I, I don't know what aspect ratio it's in. It's in like a box, isn't it? It's pretty much. Is yeah, it? it's a sort of a four by three on, on a DVD or yeah. maybe what would be called Academy uh, in the cinema. Absolutely. Got to be shown in, in the correct aspect ratio and nice tinny mono sound as well. You know, cinemas these days are often quite small, really, compared to what cinemas would have been in like in the 30s. You know, cinemas in the yeah. 30s could have had mm. a thousand, uh, two thousand people, you know, in the States especially. So maybe this is a packed, huge auditorium, you know, and, and uh, can't do it right now because of the pandemic. But, uh, but you know, maybe once, uh, once the vaccine's in, we could actually have people filling up every seat, really create that atmosphere. It would be illegal, but uh, for both fire and health and safety reasons but i would let everyone smoke because it would be appropriate and i would enjoy it just to go back to that for an evening have a cigar while watching a marx brothers movie would be a bit of a dream i think it would be uh yeah it'd be such a weird experience actually now wouldn't it seeing uh, a film uh, in an auditorium full of smoke the smoke kind of interfering with the projection a little bit it's so nostalgic for me uh i, I mean i remember when it first had to go over you had to sit on the left side of the auditorium if you wanted to like that's going to make any difference final question leon if you could have one special guest at your screening of duck soup who would it be alive or dead yeah living living or dead well it's got to be one of the marx brothers then i would love to meet harpo i'll take harpo and he can tell me about the making of the film harpo at a similar age to when when he made duck soup about 45 something like that he'd be younger than me then Okay, well there we have it. So we've got a we'll have a period perfect cinema match um, with a with a real life Harpo uh, from the era teleported in using Elon Musk's time machine uh, that you would have previously used. Absolutely fantastic. I can, yeah, 
Sounds like the best thing ever, to be honest. And just 69 minutes long as well. It's one of the shorter, you know, all of the films in our festival are short, but um, but it is one of the shorter short films, mm. uh, which is very nice. Leon, if people wanted to check out more of your work online, where should they go to? Anything that I do is caneandrince.com, C-A-N-E and R-I-N-S-E. I won't explain why, it'll take another too long uh cane and rinse or you can find me at ratso albion on social media caneandrinse.com is the place to go really but yeah if you're interested in the sound of the podcast go to the whole back catalogs on spotify actually uh so that's a convenient place to start or yeah or the website brilliant i highly recommend uh giving it a listen and uh you know maybe because there are so many episodes now maybe just scroll through and, and find a game that you Precisely. you know and and start there but um i do recommend giving uh you know the games that maybe you're not so familiar with a, a go as well because i've learned so much uh, about the history i find that that section particularly fascinating cool yes uh, absolutely that is that is the right way to approach it start off with something you you're definitely interested in and uh, don't don't sort of think right. I'll start at episode one and work my way through to episode four hundred and fifty because you won't do it, and a lot of it you probably find irrelevant. So yeah, think of the game first. We'll put a link to all of this in our show notes as well, listeners. But uh, thank you, Leon. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. You can also listen on our website, 90minfilmfest.com. That's 90minfilmfest.com. You can contact us there or on Twitter and Instagram at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. The show is edited by Louise Owen with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.